I only covered a couple of verses last week, so maybe we'll, well, I'm not even going to make a prediction. So I'm just going to start reading in verse 12 of Romans 12. Paul says, to rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. So picking it up in uh, uh, verse uh, 16. Yeah, verse 16. I was going to say that there's a misprint in my Bible, but it's my eyes. (laughs) Where he says, do not be wise in your own estimation. So when he makes that statement, uh, he is not saying that we do not have wisdom. The idea is, is that we, um, and of course, obviously, if we're trying to help others to give advice or live rightly, uh, we want to do so with the wisdom that we gain from Scripture. The idea is that we're not evaluating ourselves in the sense that we are, it might be too strong to say that we're trying to pat ourselves on the back this is really probably more of an internal thing uh, where I guess in, the, in a sense we're kind of satisfied thinking that we're better than others and he's, he's trying to nip that in the bud so that that doesn't come and you know, grow into something worse. Yeah. Can you use uh, your standard? Mm-hmm. Your American standard? Mm-hmm. Um, version. It says, do not be haughty in your mind but associate Yeah. Well, we've already covered the, the last week about associating with the humble and what he's talking about there. So here he's moved on, I think, from our behavior to what's going on in our minds or in our hearts. When he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil, um, he is, again, the norm today, I think, as well, but, but especially back then, it was much more open. The idea that when someone did you wrong, it was your right to go after them and to wrong them. I guess, and, you know, I guess we would call that maybe personal justice. I, I don't like to use that word because I'm not sure that's always justice. But the idea there is, is that we don't, it, it's, it's not just only that we don't keep track of the wrong someone do, does to us. The idea is that you just, you let it go. You do not, you just, you don't do that. That's just it. Uh, you don't ha- we don't have a right to do that. See, we're convinced we do, I think. Um, but according to the scripture, remember that we're not our own. We belong to Christ. Uh, and even for those who don't belong to Christ, we are, we are created in the image of God. So we still are not our own. Um, our understanding of morality should be what we glean from him, not just the morality that we make up for ourselves. 
And the idea here is that we uh, simply do not do that. Um, we don't try to make someone hurt because they made us hurt. And again, you take that in as broad of a sense as possible. He's not, it's not a narrow thing. It's, it's a wide thing. Then when he says to try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, that brings up an interesting idea. Um, and the idea there is that there is, we, we are to seek um, maybe we could use the word approval of others to a degree. We're not to be people pleasers. That would be wrong. We don't want to be individuals who just follow the crowd because we want to follow the scripture. But we need to have an awareness of others and what others think. And there are times that we want to do what is honorable because of others. Um, I guess the easiest way to illustrate that would be, so if, you, so if you were to go to Japan, the normal way of greeting there is people bow. So you would do that because that's, you want to do what is honorable in the sight of others. That's the idea there. Um, now, there are times when it comes to other cultures, you have to be careful uh, because there'll be certain things they do that might have a, a religious connotation. And so you, you don't want to do that, uh, even though it may be taken as being uh, trouble, I guess, in a general sense. So we want to make sure that we're not compromising Scripture. But there is this, there is this, there is this idea that what others are thinking uh, should matter to us to a degree. Uh, that's the idea. Uh, and the reason why I bring that up is because I know that for, um, I, 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 don't know if it's just a, I don't know if it's just a Western thing. I know it's an American thing. There's this idea that, you know, you want to be your own person. And so I'm not going to kowtow to anyone else's expectations. Well, we have to, we have to rethink that because uh, that can be just pride. We want to make sure that we are doing the right, doing the right thing by others um, as well. So you can tell there that, there's, that we are to be considering others. And Philippians really says the same thing when it talks about um, where you don't only look out for your own needs, but you look out for the needs of others. So it's not that you dismiss your needs, uh, but there's very much this idea that, that we are to be able to manage both. You know, looking at the needs of others as well as our needs. I do think that our needs always are subservient to the needs of others. That would be, to me, that would be the norm for the Christian. Um, whether you want to call that sacrifice or not. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because I, I don't want us to overuse the word sacrifice or, or even overuse the word ministry uh, because we don't want to sound like we're trying to be pious or something. Um, but again, there's, there's that idea of considering others, which is, which is part of the Christian's life um, when, when we become Christians. And then he says, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. So when he says if possible, it's not, it's not left up to you and your attitude. It's, it's not where you say, well, you know, I've, been, I've done all that I can and I'm, I'm now done with it. So it's not, the focus is on you, the focus is on them. So if all of a sudden, if let's say Lance and I did not get along, then what this is telling me is that I am to do everything that I can do 
to be at peace with him so that if we are not at peace, it's clearly on him and not me. Now, that doesn't mean I go and tell others, <laughs> you know, like, hey, Mike, well, just so you know, I'm the number that I came from Lance, and he's still, that's not, that's not what the idea is. But the idea is for me and my behavior, for you and your behavior, that you are doing everything. So then, if the other individual is not at peace with you, it's, it is, it's on them. Now, when that happens, or if that happens, that doesn't give us the right then to respond badly or negatively to them because they're carrying on this grudge or whatever. You know, it's not like, well, I've done everything I can. Lance still wants this to be a problem. It'd be a problem. See, now that's not, that's not what, it doesn't justify that. I got to take whatever he dishes out. So if he wants to talk bad about me, he talks bad about me. Um, I just, I can't worry about it. I just, I need to, um, I need to live in obedience to what God says and trust the Lord. Uh, Isaiah, hold on. I'm thinking. Pardon me, say that again. That goes to Christian and Christian relationships as well as Christian. I believe so, because he's addressing the Christian and how we are to behave. So absolutely. So do you think it also applies to Christian and unbeliever? That's the tough one. It is a tough one, but I would say yes. Yeah, yeah it does. Uh, turn to the book of Isaiah as for just a moment. Turn to chapter 58. In the beginning of, of Isaiah 58, um, God is scolding Israel. Israel has been complaining to God, basically saying that God is not noticing the things they're doing that are spiritual. They're fasting, etc., and it's as if God isn't noticing and God's not rewarding them. So they're kind of complaining. So God is now going to speak and set the record straight. So if you look at verse 3, this is Israel saying, why have we fasted and you have not seen? We've denied ourselves and you haven't noticed. So that's the road they're going down. So um, God then begins to speak in verse 5. And he's basically saying, will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed? to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So it's a rhetorical question. And when you look, when you read verse five, and you only know this when you keep on reading, the idea is, is there, that they are gonna think that the answer is yes, but the Lord is gonna tell them the answer is no. So they're gonna say yes, that's exactly what it is. I deny myself, um, I bow my head low to the ground, I sit in sackcloth and ashes. Yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. So God says, so is this what I've called you to do? They would say yes. God will say this. Isn't the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? So the idea is, is he's just calling that on their hypocrisy. They might be going through the motions of fasting, but what they have been doing is they're, they're not taking care of the hungry. 
They don't look out for the poor and homeless. They're not clothing those who are naked. Remember that in those days, there's no welfare system. So when you have the truly poor, if someone doesn't do something, they do without. There's no safety net. Uh, and so there was a, a lot of uh, laws that got instituted in the Law of Moses to ensure that the nation of Israel was unlike all the other nations. And part of that was in the way they treated the poor and the way they looked out for each other. Uh, and then, of course, they were to uh, look out for the oppressed. Uh, and then, of course, here he adds at, at, at the end of verse 7 that apparently they're even ignoring their own flesh and blood. They're, you know, they're letting family uh, go without. So it's a big deal. But then, verse 8 is basically saying what will happen if they do the things that God is wanting them to do. If, in other words, if they're feeding the hungry and the homeless and they're looking out for their own family, if they do those things, he says in verse 8, he says, Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. So, uh, the idea with verse 8, because remember they've been complaining that God hasn't noticed their supposed works of righteousness. So if they are going to live everyday life the way that they're supposed to, he basically says, your righteousness will go before you. The idea there is that it will not go unnoticed, because it's genuine righteousness. Then the part that I like, not that I don't like the other parts, but the part that I like is, he says, the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. So the idea with that is, is in the same way, remember when Israel was running away from Pharaoh's army, and there was a moment in time when Pharaoh's army is getting close, and the pillar of cloud basically moves behind Israel and gets in between Israel and the Egyptian army. So now that cloud, which is the Shekinah glory, represents the glory of God. The glory of God was their rear guard, and as long as it was there, the Egyptian army could not move towards them, period. So the idea here is, I believe, is that we don't have to worry about life and looking over our shoulder and what people are going to do. It's, I think it's very freeing. It doesn't mean they're not going to do things. You just don't have to worry about it. Let God take care of it. Amen. You know? And so it's a very freeing thing. So that's the idea, I believe, there, and what I think is significant about this passage um, uh, because it talks about God's direct sovereignty in your life and the things that he's going to do for you. And then, of course, he adds to that in verse 9, at that time when you call, the Lord will answer. You will cry out. He will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and the malicious speaking, if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like the noonday. The Lord will always lead you satisfy you in a parched land, strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose waters never run dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking too much. I've always wondered what that means, or talking too much, but I really like that. <laughs> anyway, he says, Then you would delight yourself in the Lord, and I will make you ride over the heights of the land, and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob, 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So I see that when I, you know, chapter 58 is one of those, those uh, chapters of the Bible that I favor a lot. I'm not going to say it's my favorite because I, I don't have a favorite because um, uh, that changes all the time. But the idea there is that um, a lot of things will happen in your life psychologically, emotionally, and physically when you live right before the Lord. Uh, it doesn't mean that you will suddenly be rich, but I do think it means that there will be great freedom. There will be emotional freedom. Uh, there will be psychological freedom. Uh, you'll be free to enjoy the life that we have here. Because remember, we're living in a world that's cursed by sin, living among people who are still cursed by sin. Uh, and of course, we have our own sin to deal with. And yet there's going to be this delight that we have uh, because of the Lord. So I, I just really think that it's a, a great place um, for us to be in and one really to strive for. And one also that emphasizes that God then really is interested in what we do individually. God is very much aware of what's happening in your life, how you treat other people, and God will bless you accordingly. And I think that's, a, that's just, it doesn't get better than that. So you go back to Romans 12 again. And so we come back again to the verse, if possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. That's just, that's what God wants us to do. So for, uh, that means, uh, so back to me and Lance, that means I don't complain to anybody about Lance. So that means, ever. I don't do it. You know, I don't, it, I don't even do the, what we call the supposed Christian thing, where I want someone to pray for Lance because we're not getting along. I would have to say it another way. So if I'm talking to Everett, what I would not say is, I just want you to know there's a huge conflict with me and Lance. I've done everything and Lance is just not, he's not budging. I don't know what his problem is. You, know, you, need, you need to pray for him or you need to pray for us so we can get it worked out, whatever. But what I can say, what I can do is, hey brother, just, uh, he just, he's been in my heart. Reason we make sure we, we pray for Lance. Mission accomplished, right? I don't have to tell him that there's a thing between him and me. Unless it requires a third party, which maybe one day it might, but it's not, it's not needed. I don't, have to, I don't have to go there because if I do, it ends up being more about me. So we have to be very careful that if we, that if, that if we really want that individual, um, we want this thing to be resolved for their sake and our sake and the Lord's sake to make sure that that's how that's going to come out. Uh, and sometimes we, it, we need wisdom from God to know the best way to handle that. So I can ask him to pray just for him because he's been in my heart as I'm asking God for wisdom as to how long should I let this go? Should I, should I just let it go? And, and just let the Lord deal with, with Lance because sometimes that's the right way. Other times it may need to be pushed a little bit. That I, don't, I may not know yet. Um, there's a lot of ways, uh, not a whole lot of ways, but there's a few ways that some of that could be handled. But the key is, is that we are doing everything possible to be at peace with that individual. And that then, that then should be revealed um, in every facet of our life, even to the point that others are unaware um, of the issue. Um, or or maybe, maybe just the tension. They may not even know the issue, but they're unaware of the tension. But along those lines, though, he then says, and he adds this, he says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. So that's really going a, a, I think, a step beyond, do not repay anyone evil for evil. It's like he circled back to that. And what he's doing here, and the way I like to phrase it is, 
Revenge is sacred. It's reserved for God. Amen. So it's sacred. And we don't have a right. If we, if we seek revenge in any way, uh, we are encroaching on things that belong only to God. We're actually encroaching on things that would be considered holy. Revenge can come in a lot of ways. Just like repaying evil for evil. So again, back to this thing with me and Lance. Just so you know, there's nothing bad with me and Lance. That's why I can use him. All right, but, all right, so, 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 but there could be a way I could do this. It could be that what I would do is I could do something as simple as drop hints to others in a calm, normal way concerning the flaws in Lance's life. I can do so and be absolutely truthful. I don't have to exaggerate. Everything I say can be absolutely accurate, and so that can so it doesn't appear that I'm being vengeful. Remember that vengeful is not necessarily that you're feeling I'm going to get him no matter what. We don't always go through that. Remember, this brain works really fast. The human brain is unbelievable. It's fast. It, it's, as far as I know, it's still faster than a computer. Maybe the computers are catching up with us. But the idea is is that remember you cannot trust yourself. You cannot. And so, you, so you, you can't, you know, because you can do this. You can fool yourself into thinking that you're just, I'm just really concerned for Lance. I just don't think he's growing as he needs to grow. And, you know, he's got a family and, you know, great kids and a wife. And I just don't want to see that go down the tubes. And see how that all can sound really, you know, all for the sake of ministry. All right. So we want to make sure that we don't do that. Um, so I, I uh, now some people try, some people have done this. Um, what they'll try to do is they'll try to get out of some of, those, some of that responsibility by saying, well, but we need to live honest lives. That's a true statement. Living honestly doesn't mean that I have to share everything I know. Right? So, if, for example, if I go to a court of law and I'm sworn to give testimony, um, I swear to tell the truth. The lawyer may ask me a question that I don't want to answer. I have sworn that I will tell the truth. I can choose to say nothing. I'm not lying. I can just say, I'm not going to answer that. Now, he may not like that. But the point is, is that some people think that if you're going to be honest, then you have to always tell people everything you know about someone else or the situation. You don't have to do that. So if someone says, Bob, you know think about what's going on with Lance? You know, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I guess I could give you the lowdown. I don't want to be a liar. <laughs> right? And I can just go through some stuff. And I can start bringing in things, you know, about him that are still true, may have nothing to do with what's going on. And the idea is it's just a way to get him. All right? So, again, vengeance, if vengeance is even required. That's why it's sacred. God is the one who knows. Right? There could be all kinds of reasons why we haven't done things. It could be that I'm blind to my sin. And maybe Lance is justified in his anger at me. And I'm the one that's the fool. So the idea then is that if we really want God to work, is we recognize that then when it comes to getting others, getting back at others, that, 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 that's, that's an arena we need to leave alone and just leave it in the hands of God and ask God to forgive us uh, if we've had thoughts where we've imagined what we would either like to do or like to say or whatever. I don't know if you've ever done that. We get into an argument with somebody and you don't do so good in the argument and later on you rehearse the argument in your head. And, but it always turns out different because you would have said this and you would have said that and you would have been like the best lawyer because you would have had eight points with three sub points under each point and man, you just would have wiped them out with your logic. 
you know, and then you're upset because you didn't do that. But you gain a little bit of disglee from thinking about it. I've done that a few times. Well, more than a few times. Right, so the thing is, is that we do want to make sure we leave that alone. And that, and that, is, uh, that goes against our nature. Remember, that, that goes against our, our sin nature. That is what that goes against. It's not natural to do that. We need the strength of Christ. Uh, but the best route to get there is not, I'm not saying it's bad to ask God to give us the strength to not go there even in our minds. I think the best route to go is that as we continue to grow and to mature in the Lord, our heart just doesn't go there. It just doesn't go there in the first place. Uh, I, th- I think that, that we are capable of doing that. Again, not on our own. And there should be greater, what's the word? Uh, there should be less of a temptation to go in that direction as we mature as believers. So it may be something that would never leave us just because of our humanness, uh, but, there's, but there's just much less of it. So it's, just, it's, a, it's an important aspect. So again, as I said before, when we first started covering these things about four weeks ago, you, know, you can just kind of go through this list and go through it real quick and in a superficial way. Yeah, I'm doing all those things. But if we begin to think about it and dwell on these things, you know, there are some aspects of this where he really wants us to look deep inside. You know, there's that, that introspection that we are to have. And so when it comes to vengeance, you know, we are to think. So, you, so it's not bad to think about people who've wronged you in detail. It's not wrong to do that. But the purpose in doing that is to examine your heart in your response to that individual, whether it's an actual physical response or response or just one that's in your head, and ask God to cleanse you so that you are going to think about them and respond to them in a, in a, in a, in a righteous way. So that would then mean then, so again, back to this thing with me and Lance. So if me and Lance really do have a problem, I want to think deeply about all these things for a while and my response to Lance, but that doesn't mean that I do it over and over again for the next three years because now that, that's just another way of sinning, right? So I need to go through that. Maybe I may have to go through it a couple of times and then that's it. I, I, I figure out my course of action, what is going to be pleasing to the Lord, what is really best for Lance and for others, because a lot of times other people are affected by all these things, and move forward. Remember there's a phrase that Paul uses in, in uh, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 6, where he asks, it's a rhetorical question that he asks the Corinthians, and, and it's, in, it's in response to or in the context where they're suing each other. And he, so he asked this question. It's rhetorical because the answer to Paul, I think, is really obvious. Why would you rather not be wronged? Which to me is one of the more, there are certain phrases in the Bible or, or, or questions or sentences that I think are very powerful because if you really think about it, it goes very deep. So here, he's questioning our stance as believers with the assumption that it's normal for the believer to embrace being wronged by other people and letting it go. That, to me, that's just, that's incredible. That really is incredible when you think about it. Uh, yes? Um, what if you, you know, go through exactly what sure. you just said and, yeah. and you think you've dealt with it yeah, yeah, yeah. and you really yeah. believe it and then something happens, maybe five years later, mm-hmm. 
Hmm? Not necessarily. It might. Um, remember that we don't have the ability to choose to forget. Okay, we can't do that. Um, uh, now we forget just because we get older, you know, or whatever. But you know, and there are times when maybe hearing a song on the radio suddenly brings back a flash. Not necessarily a bad memory, but you know how you just suddenly you think of things you hadn't thought of in like years or decades. All right, so. When we, uh, when we flash back, in whatever way that comes, I think the first thing that we should maybe ask ourselves, or at least think about, is when I have that memory, so once again, I'll use Lance. So, so, if some, so let's say a couple years go by, and I'm just talking to Everett, and he just mentions something, and in my mind flashes what happened between us. What is my initial or spontaneous emotion at that moment. So if my emotion at that moment is the same intense dislike or whatever about the situation, then I got a problem. I, I, I may have lied to myself in saying that maybe I'd forgiven him, but I haven't. Let's say that then, again, ever said something and I remember all of this, and the emotion is not as strong. Because, you know, we, let's be honest with ourselves, and I know it's not as strong. I can thank the Lord that it's better, and then confess to the Lord that it's not better than it is. Because that needs to be done away with. There will be times when you will have a flash, and there's no emotional response, no negative emotional response. And I do think, I do think we can get to that point. Uh, obviously, it depends. Uh, normally, uh, normally depends on how old we were and the, uh, I guess some of the strongest things would be the sense of betrayal. You know, when there's betrayal, of some kind of betrayal involved, that's very deep. Uh, and that can be difficult to get over. I, I do think, just naturally speaking, time helps, but that's not the Christian approach. Um, we want our hearts to change. So if I am continuing to grow as a Christian, and then, because it could be that the Lord, is, the Lord ordained Everett to bring up in this conversation Lance, so I would have that memory, so the Lord could show me either I'm not where I thought I was, or so I can give thanks, because I'm, I'm like, you know what? The Lord's completely healed that. I, I, have, I have no ill will towards Lance at all. I don't even remember what it's about. One of my, the story I'll never forget, it was a story I read in the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was preaching at a, a small a town in, in England. And as was the, back then, this would be the uh, 19... Uh, 40s, 50s, 60s is, is a time frame when he was doing all of this. So normally when he would go and preach another church, when, when they would finish, he would then immediately leave and go to a room. And then if people would want to speak to him, they would kind of line up in the hallway and they would usher people in, sometimes one at a time, sometimes several at a time, and he would talk to them or whatever. So he, he tells a story where he had seen many, many people and it got to the point where there were only two women left in this room. And he, and he said that it was immediately apparent that whatever the problems they had, 
it was with each other. And the one lady was uh, uh, weeping a great deal. And he was trying to talk to her, and he just couldn't get the story from her because of her crying. And so he, he said that he would talk to her in a moment, so he spoke to the other lady. And the other lady uh, confessed that she knew that she had uh, bitterness in her heart. And uh, so he asked just for a few details to kind of give him some context. And she then admitted that the, the problem was with her and that other woman. So he asked her, he said, what did she do? And the lady said this, I don't remember. All I know is, is I promised myself I would never forgive her. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> that is some serious stuff. I mean, it's just uh, incredible. Uh, in fact, he, I, th I think, if I remember the story correctly, I think for her, the other lady was uh, repentant about all of it, whatever it was. This other lady, he, I mean, he basically talked to her about the Lord because he wasn't sure if she knew Christ. Because he said, I, how, how can you, you know, you're commanded by God to forgive those as Christ has forgiven you. That's just all there is to it. Um, because she was a bitter old lady. But, so the thing is, is that, you know, we don't want to be there. Because when you hear a story like that, the first thing we think is, I, would, I could never do that. I would never be there. Don't ever think that. All right? Because there are times when, when people can be hurt really, really deeply. Now, hopefully that won't happen to any of us. But, you know, it happens. A lot, that's why a lot of times, you know, you hear about you know, when people get divorced and you hear a lot, a lot of bitterness. Well, if you think about that, that, you know, some of the greatest betrayal happens in, in a divorce. Even if there wasn't adultery. The fact that the person now no longer wants to be with you and wants to separate officially in the marriage, all that. I mean, there's a betrayal there. I mean, that, that, that can cut deep. And for some individuals, man, that's just... You know, for everybody, I think it kind of rocks your world. Um, and, and for some, man, that's a thing that's very, very difficult to get over. Really hard. Um, again, with the Lord, that's not impossible. We never want to diminish, though, the seriousness of that. Uh, but we just don't want to be the individual who says, oh, I, I could never be in that position. I would like to think I would never be in that position. But, and I'm not telling you to do this. But maybe you could imagine, could there be some situation where something happened where there would be a person that you would not forgive? That didn't take me more than five seconds to figure that out. Absolutely. Somebody, somebody does something to one of my kids, one of my grandkids. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to be. You know, there are things that can be done that just, you know, the world's a nasty place. And there's a lot of bad things that go on. And uh, if that was to happen, that's very, very encompassing and overwhelming, to say the least. Uh, so we don't want to be that individual who immediately thinks, or at least say out loud, yeah, I could never do that. Uh, I just want to go ahead and admit that, I, like I do with everything else, I do not trust myself. I cannot trust myself. And I do not want to imagine for a moment that there's something that I'm not capable of doing. Because we really are. I mean, we, we really are. And just pray the Lord will prevent that from ever happening. Because I certainly don't want to betray God. I don't, I don't want that to happen. Uh, and I don't want whatever this thing might be that could happen to take place either. But I am not that special person 
you know, that no bad thing ever happens to. I, I remember when I, I was in, uh, I don't remember what grade I was in. I was, I was either fourth or fifth grader. And for whatever the reason, I just, I guess I just assumed, you know, I was raised in a Christian home and I'm only a fourth or fifth grader. Um, you know, you're growing up in a middle class home. I just assumed that the really, really, really bad things that happened did not happen to Christians. Because you never heard about it. You know, I went to church with my parents all the time. You never hear about really bad things. And then I remember one night in prayer meeting, because I went to prayer meeting with my parents. Um, they didn't have anything for kids some of the times. And so they were, they were sharing a prayer request with a, uh, with, with a group. And it was about a lady. Uh, and I, I can't remember if she was a part of the church or close to someone in the church, but she was a Christian. And she was followed home from work, and she was raped, and then she was uh, beaten badly. And all I remember is I was shocked. I was thinking, I mean, I literally thought, how, how can that happen? She's a Christian. That doesn't happen to Christians. I mean, I didn't say it out loud. I'm a fourth grader. You know, there's only adults around, so I'm not going to say anything. And I never said anything to my parents. But man, that just, man, that troubled me for a long time. You know, it kind of faded away. I was a fourth grade boy. So, you know, you, you know, next day you're running around and, you know, jumping out of trees and whatever. But the thing was, is that it really did. It, it just shattered my view. Now, my view of, of the world of God and Christians was wrong. But man, it shattered it. You know, I, I don't think my parents were trying to protect me from the world, you know, to an extent when I was being raised, even though they kind of do, which would be normal. But I just remember that I was just, I, I mean, I, the word flabbergasted was not in my vocabulary then. Uh, but I was just blown away by that. And uh, it really altered how I heard everything after that point. Uh, now, I did not have a crisis of faith. Some people will. You know, I did not have that. Um, you know, I was, my parents are very strong in the Lord. My dad is extremely stable um, and, you know, a lot of the, the close friends they had were the same way. So there was no crisis. Um, but we have to make sure that we don't have that view. And you'd be, you would be amazed how many people, maybe they're Christians, maybe they just go to church, who think that. They think that those kind of things don't happen to real Christians. And they, I mean, they do. And so that's a, that's a tough thing uh, to be aware of. So when it comes to this, this verse then that Paul where basically, I guess the New King James says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Uh, that, that needed to be said. And Christians need to, to recognize that. And I could tell you story after story after story, um, some of them get kind of gory, but of how uh, the Lord has protected his own. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, when, again, when I was in... When I was in uh, Second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. We lived in Virginia. All the rest of my time was in Hawaii. So we were going to the large Southern Baptist Church in Virginia. Bonaire Baptist Church was the name of the church. And uh, I remember the pastor, and I think it was the pastor, told a story once. And it was about a, a, a lady who, uh, she'd gotten saved. She'd been married for several years. She'd gotten saved. Um, her husband did not become a believer and he was, uh, the longer they were married and the longer she was a Christian, the more cruel he became. 
he didn't beat her physically, but he was just a cruel man. Um, and he, he was a traveling salesman, so he was normally gone throughout the week, uh, or at least for several days at a time. He would come home, uh, usually, I think, he would, I think he would leave on Sunday night, and he would come back uh, Wednesday afternoon, and he would shower, eat dinner, sleep, and then Thursday morning, gone again, and would come back either Saturday or Sunday. It was kind of how it went. So after a while, he told her, he said, I don't want you going to church no more. No more, no more church on Sundays. Because I want a meal at exactly 12. And she talked to the pastor, and the pastor said, well, you know, just do what he wants. You know, you, he still allows you to come to the prayer meeting. You know, do that. We'll pray for him. We'll do all we can to help you. So that's what she did. Uh, and, of course, as she did that, and made sure there was this nice meal for him all the time. You know, he just treated her bad. Either sometimes he wouldn't eat it, sometimes he wouldn't show up, uh, but he would really give her the business if she ever missed. So then what he started to do was on Wednesday nights, because he knew she was at church, he started to have his buddies over and they had poker. And he knew his wife was the kind of lady that she couldn't go to bed if the house was a filthy mess, and they would make a mess. And uh, this went on for months, maybe years. So one night, on a Wednesday night, you know, she knew what she was going to face when she got home from prayer meeting, and sure enough, it was like an especially, it was almost like they had messed the house up on purpose. Like that was a challenge they gave to each other because it was just in disarray. And so she um, had opened the refrigerator to put something in there, and she just kind of dropped to her knees and was just asking God to give her strength because it was just too much for her. And he had come downstairs. She didn't hear him. And so he reached into the refrigerator and grabbed a gallon pitcher of water while she was there praying, and he poured it on her head and said, oh, this is the showers of blessings that God has for you. And then went back upstairs. So this is the kind of thing that was going on in her life, which went on for several years. I don't know how many years. I don't remember anymore, but it was several years. However, one night, he was driving. To explain to you what happened, remember that uh, today, when you drive on the road and you see guardrails, you notice that normally at the end, the guardrail is, your guardrail goes like this, at the end it bends like this, and then normally they have, in certain places they have barrels, barrels of sand or whatever, so somebody hits that, you know, that impact, you know, it, it ends up being better. Well, this is before they had that. This is also before there was such things as cell phones and 911. He was driving that old country road. He was flying down the road. I don't know if he, I don't know if he was drinking or if he was falling asleep. I don't remember that part of the story. All I know is he hit the guardrail the wrong way. So here's his car. Here's the guardrail. He hit the car. He hit the, guard, the car hit the guardrail. The guardrail came through the engine block, through the dashboard, through his chest and out his back, and he didn't lose consciousness. He's just sitting there in the car, impaled. And he was... Now, they pieced this together after the whole event was over, but they figured he was there at least an hour. Somebody came by and saw, and of course, there's nothing they could do, so they've got to go find a house to make a phone call. So they go, and they, they find a house, and they make a phone call, and he tells the, the guy there what's going on. The guy says, oh, I, you know, I've, we're going to have to cut him out of there, and he, was, he had welding equipment. So this guy loads up his truck, follows this guy back. You know, the police end up, you know, they end up coming. Uh, and he was trying to figure out what's going on. And so they, this guy says, says what he has. The cop says, yep, we got to do it. 
So they kind of, you know, they, they're cutting the car and they got to get to where they, they're going to cut the guardrail so they can lift him out and take him to the hospital. And he's still conscious when this is going on. So when they start to cut the guardrail right, right around here so they can then take him and part the seat out, they've got to pour water on the, because, you know, everything, the whole thing heats up from this torch. So they're, they're trying to cut him out and they're using this torch and pouring the water and this whole thing. And this thing, it takes like two hours or so to get all this done. And the way the story goes is when they finally got it cut and they're trying to figure out how to get him now out of the car, he died. And they're talking about, they're talking about you know, how much he suffered. <laughs> all I remember is when, when the pastor was telling the story, he said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Because he had this deep, you know, he all of a sudden he goes this deep voice, you know, this boom. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so as a little kid, you're thinking, yeah, don't ever abuse your wife. <laughs> the Lord will run a guardrail through your chest and you won't lose consciousness. But the thing is, is that there's, there's things like that. And of course we know that an individual is going to suffer in hell much worse than that anyway. But vengeance is sacred. And the Lord knows what people deserve. The Lord is, thank goodness, full of mercy and grace. And he's shown that to us. But at the same time, for those who reject that, no one gets away with anything. And this pain and suffering will always be proportionate to your sin. And it's best left in the hands of God. It really is. And so, that, so you know, we don't, we don't want... It's, it's difficult at times to not at least think, well, because I know this is true. He did get what he deserved. But I can't really be happy about it. You know, we're not supposed to be happy about those things. And that can be hard because there's some evil people and we're happy when bad things happen to them. But again, what we need to remember is that when it comes to this very uh, difficult kind of topic, and one that can be very personal in the lives of some people, uh, depending on what's going on, is that the Lord, the Lord will take, the Lord will take care of it, period. Um, and I think at the same time, it is at that juncture that the world really can't stand Christianity because there will be people like that guy who will get saved. And he will be forgiven by God and he'll be forgiven by his wife, and the world will say, that's not fair, because he didn't get what he deserved. He did get what he deserved in the sense that God did punish Christ for his wrongdoing. Number two, at the same time, he did not get what he deserved, and neither did you, and neither did I. We don't, we don't want that. God is a God of mercy. And so as our hearts change, we then learn to rejoice when people like that don't have to pay, in a sense. You know, we don't know what's going on, and you know, there's all kinds of angles to come at with that. But in the end, uh, remember, if it's, if it's your son or your daughter who's being abusive to others, don't we pray that God will be merciful to them? And those are the individuals, or that's somebody's son, that's somebody's daughter, and 
that I'm just glad that I am not the judge because I would not. How how would I how would I know how to go about doing that? I'm sure I'd be way too harsh, way too harsh. Or maybe I would be too merciful in a sense. Maybe, maybe mercy isn't the right word. Um, but this thing, these kinds of things aren't really easy. They're not easy to figure out. They're hard. Um, and so this statement here, I think, is great and one that we can rest on, uh, to say the least. And God can change our hearts so that we're fine with this. But then maybe like God, we want mercy to be shown as well uh, towards those who've hurt us. It's always easy to want mercy for those who've hurt someone else. But when it's the person who's done things to me, you know, do I want God to show them mercy? I, I can say, well, so far in my life, yes. And I want, I want to remain that way, and maybe and more so. But that's where we want to be. And so I think as, he, as we think, again, think about these things, uh, it can move us into thinking about those types of things so that we can really evaluate where we are in our walk with the Lord. So again, 19, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And then again, he says, so now he's going to slide into a related arena to those who are your actual enemy. And so he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Again, just that by itself, um, we go against uh, not only the philosophy of the day, because in those days, the idea of making others suffer, um, again, was seen as, as being a right thing to do. When the armies would clash, if the Roman army uh, would capture people, making them suffer in the worst ways possible was just kind of a, not only accepted, but in a sense even looked forward to. Uh, here we are commanded. Uh, and so that's why you, were, you don't always hear stories about this because the world doesn't understand this. Uh, but throughout the world where Christians are being persecuted, you know, they, they follow this. They feed, they feed their enemies, and they give, them, they give them something to drink. They do that. They want to see those individuals come to Christ. It's the stories that, you know, if, if you ever read anything from Voice of the Martyrs, you know, the books that Richard Wormbrandt has written, um, Open Doors is another one that deals with the persecuted church throughout the world and has things, there's some books you can read that, that have some stories in them. You will, it's always, to me, it's amazing to, to read about how other believers respond to those who hate them. I mean, they still, at times, try to run away. You know, they're not, they're not looking to get captured and tortured. Uh, but at the same time, when they have, like, you know, like David, who had the opportunity to kill Saul, and he said, I won't touch God's anointed. He was going to wait for God's timing. Sometimes these individuals find themselves in a position where they could maybe take advantage of their enemy, and, and they won't do it because they know they belong to Christ. And I just, I, I look forward to meeting people like that, you know, and I'm assuming that if, if there is a line in heaven and rewards are being passed out, I'm behind them, I know that. And I'm glad they're in front of me. They, they need to be way at the head of the line, uh, to say the least, because they really take it to heart and live it out each day. So again, feed, uh, when it comes to your enemies, they're hungry, feed them, thirsty, give them a drink. And then he says, for in, in, in uh, doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Uh, there's, just so you know, in the commentaries, there's huge discussions about what that means. There are those, there, there's, and they kind of fall into two basic camps. 
The basic camp is A, uh, heaping fiery coals on their head is a negative thing. You know, you're making them suffer, uh, you know, whatever. There's others who say, no, that's actually a sign of kindness. Um, the idea of, of someone wearing a headpiece where you would actually put coals to help keep them warm when it's cold. And so you get, you get these different stories. So I don't know which one it is. Um, all I know is he says that's what will happen. Uh, and it's, all I know is I got to do the first part for it doesn't even matter what the second part means. Feed, feed my enemies and give them something to drink. So do that, the rest take care of itself. Uh, and then he says this to end. Do not be conquered by evil or do not be overcome by evil, but conquer evil with good. So, he, so with all, putting all these things together then, what he ends with is, is that when it comes to living your life, because evil things can happen to you, that's because he's covered vengeance and all the rest, that's because bad things can happen to us and maybe they will happen to us, he's telling us to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that we do not allow evil to overcome us whether it's wanting vengeance or wanting to repay evil for evil or whatever it happens to be, do not let that happen, period. In fact, he says, overcome it with good. So I think what's important about that is this is not just a thought exercise. This is not where you just overcome evil by having good thoughts. It's not what this is, right? The idea is you, there's a physical movement here. You do good for them, all right? So again, back to me and Lance, if there's an issue, not, it's not just I have good thoughts about Lance, it's not just that I forgive in my heart, I should do all those things. I need, to do, I need to do good. I need to do good for him. Now, there may not be anything for me to do right away, but I need to do good. But my doing good for him is not just because I'm, I'm honoring Christ, and I'm honoring Christ in my obedience, but it is also what the Lord will use to strengthen me so that I am not overwhelmed with evil. Because the presupposition is you can be. All of us can be overwhelmed by evil. And so do not let it happen. Do this instead. And so that's, so all these great things about our salvation, which is definitely great, the relationship we have with Christ uh, being united uh, to the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord living in us, um, looking forward to the day that, that uh, our sanctification is complete and we're with the Lord. All that is great and marvelous. And what that means is in my day-to-day -day living, I am then motivated and moved to live like that. What he, what he outlines for us in Romans 12. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace and your kindness and your goodness and your overwhelming grace that's been expressed in our lives in so many ways. Father, not only have we been forgiven by you, we have been forgiven by others. Sometimes we are aware that others have forgiven us. Lord, perhaps there, are, there have been others that have forgiven us and we were even unaware that we needed their forgiveness. We thank you, Father, for the immense grace that has been shown us in our lives. We ask, Lord, you would help us to be gracious towards others and to be forgiving towards others. We pray, Lord, that we would sanctify you in our hearts. And we ask, Lord, that it would be our desire, that it would be our commitment to apply your word to our living, not only in the outward actions, but in the deep recesses of our hearts and minds.
that, Father, inwardly and outwardly, we would be pure and pursue righteousness. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us as we go home. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to think of these things throughout the week, that we would rightly evaluate ourselves in light of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that, again, we are forgiven. And trust you, Lord, to continue to change us so that we become more like Christ. Father, we also pray that if there are those in our lives that maybe we need to forgive, there are those that we need to let go of maybe even the very real evil they've done to us. We ask, Lord, you give us again the desire as well as the strength that we need to be gracious towards them and to live in obedience to what you've said. Father, we thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.